What's up, y'all? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Rethinking Christianity. On today's episode, I interview Pastor Ed Litton, who is the current president of the Southern Baptist Convention. The Southern Baptist Convention is the largest evangelical denomination in the country, uh, and so I was really interested in interviewing him and hearing his heart uh, in the midst of maybe some things that are going on within the Southern Baptist Convention that people uh, are curious about and a lot of people disagree with. And so Pastor Ed presents a lot of really good insight from his heart and his hopes and what uh, he desires to see as the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And so I hope that this interview can speak to you and maybe you can get some new insight on maybe a perspective that you don't usually get to listen to or hear. And so it was really helpful for me and really encouraging. Uh, Again, hey, thanks for tuning in. Another thing, if you could do me a huge favor by sharing or reviewing uh, or rating the podcast, it's really helpful for other people like you to find Rethinking Christianity. Uh, That would be super helpful and I would be super grateful. And with all that being said, here is the interview with Pastor Ed Litton. Uh, I hope you enjoy. Pastor Ed, thank you so much for for coming on again. Um, I just want to introduce you. Um, So Dr. Ed or Pastor Ed is the pastor of Redemption Church in in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, And he is, as of recently, his current title is the the president of the the Southern Baptist Convention. And so um, that's a lot on your plate, I'm sure. So I'm super thankful that uh, you're taking the time to kind of chat with me today about uh, just the Southern Baptist Convention and just some other things. Sure, Blake. I listen. It's an honor to be with you, and I, I appreciate uh, your podcast. Awesome, cool. So, as we get started, I'd love for just our listeners just to hear a little bit about you, um, your story of how you came to follow Jesus, uh, and you know how you became a pastor and what kind of led you into that direction. And uh, sure. so, yeah, uh, yeah. My my testimony is is uh, uh, from from darkness to light. It. I, I was uh, raised in a family that did not know Christ, did not go to church. My dad was an alcoholic. He was a chief bosun's mate in the United States Navy. He was a hard drinking, hard fighting man. Our our uh, home was um, was a, a volatile place at times. And um, uh, as a young boy, uh, my dad actually encountered a man who shared the gospel with him multiple times, and he liked this man. He was winsome, and he just won my dad over. They had a lot in common, and um, they're about the same age, and they grew up in the same part of the country. And so my dad really connected with them. But when he found out he was a, a Southern Baptist pastor, he kind of backed off. That wasn't his thing. And and but ultimately, my dad's life unraveled rapidly, and and it seemed to had been unraveling for some time. But he, um, my mother had left him, and uh, he just begged for mercy. So could you please take me to see this man? And I watched my dad. I was eight years old. I watched him get on his knees. He'd been drunk for a couple of weeks and he stood up sober after trusting Christ as his savior. It was such a dramatic conversion. And, and he was in the best use of the term radicalized. He, uh, he, he just became, he absorbed the word of God. His lifestyle changed. Our lifestyles changed. And then I came under the hearing of the gospel as an eight-year-old boy. And I put my faith and trust in Christ. But I tell people, at that point, I could not deny that there was something very powerful happening and that there was a God who saves people. 
and uh, I wasn't like my dad. I wasn't didn't have his slate of problems at that moment, but I was just as lost spiritually. And uh, and so I went through a rebellious period in my life uh, when actually when God called me to preach, and that's the last thing in the world I wanted to do at 17 years old. And I ran from it for several years, and then ultimately through some hard knocks, a lot like my dad, that uh, God brought me to a place of brokenness. And I surrendered my life to him. I didn't want to be a preacher. I didn't want to be a pastor. But I just, at that point, said, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And that has included being a church planter. Uh, It has included being a pastor of a church. And uh, I planted a church in Tucson, Arizona with my wife, Tammy. And then we moved to Mobile seven and a half years later and uh, started leading here in a church called First Baptist North Mobile at the time. Uh, 14 years ago, Tammy was killed in a car accident. And uh, my life just, again, uh, went in a lot. It could have gone in a lot of different directions, and just except by the grace of God. And, and it, it also was a, is a really interesting stage of life. I'm in my late 40s at that time. And, and, uh, and it just really, uh, I started re- reexamining my life differently, looking at life differently. God has brought an amazing woman into my life who shares a similar journey. Her husband was a pastor. He was also killed in a car accident about 19 years ago. Her name is Kathy, and uh, she works with our North American Mission Board. We are very involved in church planting around the country. And so uh, that's that's a real quick, uh, you know, uh, short version of the whole yeah. thing. But that's kind of where we're at today. That's awesome. That's great. Um, so so you've been a pastor. Uh, and so in the last, I think it was, uh, was it in June uh, that the Southern Baptist uh convention happened. Um, so I would love to hear kind of what, um, what kind of led you to wanting to take that or, or accept a nomination to that position? Because I know as a pastor, you already have like a lot going on. Uh, and so what kind of led you to, to feeling, I guess, the passion or the desire to, to do that? Well, truthfully, I mean, we were asked by friends to consider it prayerfully and we did prayerfully consider it. Uh, but I, I would say the simplest answer and the truest answer, by all means, is that we saw trending in our convention that disturbed us. And, and so we, we felt like that uh, there was a role there. And in a sense, after praying much about it, a sense that God was uh, telling us to put our hat in the ring. At the end of the day, we had no guarantee we would win. Matter of fact, I was quite convinced I probably wouldn't. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I still felt like it was something, uh, deep conviction that, interestingly enough, about convictions is that the more you're involved and the more you learn, the more convinced you are that God, God was in this. And, and again, I had no guarantee, but I was just trying to be faithful to the Lord. And uh, so that, that's how we got there. That's awesome. So, you know, you kind of talk about there were some trends that kind of like you use the word disturbed you. Um, right. So obviously that comes with challenges. Uh, and I think that one of the things that I appreciate about you uh, and some of the stuff I kind of saw um, you presenting for for the convention as a whole was this call for unity. And before we kind of talk about that, I'd love to kind of hear, you know, what what have you seen has kind of been like, or what did you see coming in that you knew would be challenges uh, and I guess concerns uh, specifically? Well, first of all, the culture around us is having uh, has a huge impact on us. Yeah. I, I think sometimes we live in denial of that. We we kind of act like we're more spiritual than that. Yeah. But we can't deny the reality of the culture. And, and so a lot of times what, what really, I think, harms us is our reaction to the culture. 
And instead of engaging it with the gospel, instead of loving people, and, and one of the, the biggest concerns I have is we are the Great Commission Baptist Convention. We are Great Commission people. It's in our DNA to say the Great Commission is the most important thing. But I, I link, and I see a linkage. I didn't do it. Jesus did it. I think he links the Great Commandment with the Great Commission. Uh, in other words, because he says our credibility in doing the Great Commission is bound up in loving our neighbor as ourself. It's bound up in, he said, by this they will know you're my disciples, that you love one another. And, and so we're not loving well, and, and this is a concern of mine. And, and that is, a, there's, there's just, there's what I would call as political mo- motivations, both on a national level and then within the denomination, that, that I think uh, constantly send off warning signals, uh, vilifies a brother or a sister in Christ, and in some cases, well publicized, they drive people out of the convention. Uh, because they, they have these claims about some liberalism or some heresy, and, and uh, most of the time, it's just not true. It's not founded, but it takes on a life of its own. Yeah. And, and so that concerns me. So that, that, um, that tone in the convention, I think, is dangerous, and it is very disunifying. Uh, we are a warrior people, but this isn't the battle we were called to fight. And I was a part of, as a very young man, I was a part of the conservative resurgence. So when people started saying this was liberalism, I'm going, no, I've seen liberalism and this is not what this is. And I'm in a little bit of a position to be able to say that because I serve on the board of one of our seminaries and love all of our seminaries. And and so there were allegations, especially toward the seminary I'm the board of, that just weren't true. They seem to be made up or they are ungracious and they, they misunderstand statements or if a person misspeaks and corrects themselves, you know, that there's no forgiveness for that. And so I started realizing that there was that. And I, I, I the way I characterize it uh, a lot of times, Blake, is that, that it, it, there's, a, there's a sense among fundamentalists. And that's a term that I know is just electric, yeah. dangerous. But, but let's just be honest. And here's my interpretation of fundamentalism. At its best, it is a person who believes in the fundamentals of Scripture. That's me. Okay, at its best definition. But the problem is we always have a tendency to not just fight, but we have a tendency to always see liberalism as our big enemy. And in a sense, it is. But we see it in places it probably doesn't really exist. And, and fundamentalism always, too, in its extreme forms, always wants to shorten down. Everybody has to believe the same things. Hmm. And the thing about Southern Baptists, and I say this especially to, to your, your viewers and your listeners, uh, Southern Baptists are a big tent people. We, we are people that have a statement of faith that is broad enough that we can have variation on the core things that we believe. And we never embrace liberalism in its truest sense. We are bound to the word of God as much as Luther was bound to the word of God and we can do nothing less. Um, and so it's important that, that we understand that distinction and that big tent is important for our, for our ultimate mission, which is to get the gospel to the nations. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely from my own personal, just observation agree with, you know, something you mentioned about the, the great commandment of loving God and loving others. And I think that, that is where I think a lot of people have struggled is, is, you know, at least from my experience of people within the Southern Baptist Convention or people that are observing it, um, because obviously things make headlines and things like that. 
Uh, and so I see that and I've, I've talked with people who have kind of struggled with that, where there's not this sense of love or the ability to disagree in love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that that is exactly kind of you hit the the nail on the head. And so there's kind of this it seems like from observing uh, that there is this spirit of division uh, within the denomination, unfortunately, and it does seem to kind of be centered on, it doesn't even seem, and you may can correct me on this if I'm wrong, it doesn't seem like it is um, necessarily theological issues specifically, but how we respond to social issues on the basis of our theology. Uh, and would you say that that's kind of correct? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I mean, look, we have a vigorous theological debate, and we should. Yeah. Uh, come, let us reason together. But but the reality is uh, politics has become almost inseparable with mm-hmm. our churches. And I'm talking about now the national political scene. I think somewhere along the line, and I can say this about my generation, not so much yours, but yeah. my generation, we, we began to believe we could make a difference in the area of politics and through politics. So by being conservative and electing conservatives, we could possibly turn Roe versus Wade away, uh, and we could deal with that issue there. And when, it, when it, the great story that's missed, and I would love for Roe to disappear, I am pro-life to the hilt, but what's missed is the reality that the churches who have engaged the issue of abortion, not with hostility, but embracing it with love, adoption, caring for the women who were pregnant and helping women make a good choice in that area and that choice being to give life that that what i've well, what i've recognized is it has become a major evangelism tool a major betterment for a community than just condemnation and, and so when we take that approach we uh, when we only take the other approach we miss the value of what god's done in the last 40 years and uh, 40 almost now 50 years and so so that as an illustration, but we we tend to look at everything through a political grid, thinking the next election is going to be what brings in something. And politicians, of course, are skilled at, at taking advantage of us in that. And we're uh, we, we need to be as wise as serpents and as innocent and gentle as doves. Yeah. Listen, there's yeah. nothing dirty about politics. What, what dirties politics is human beings. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're the ones in our we're the ones who corrupted and allow it to be corrupted. And yet it's just simply how people do business together. It's how people get along. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think one of the, I would definitely agree with that. And I think one of the frustrations that I've heard from people is just, I think it gets to a certain extent, it gets to a point where people want to want to just operate and in church and practice their faith without all the added stuff. And I think when that happens, at least people my age, I think, and, you know, it may be different from my age group because we're, we've been so exposed to media and things like that all of our lives. Uh, and so it almost seems like that's the only thing that's talked about a lot of times uh, or is focused on. And so I think a, there is a, you know, my age group, I think, is longing for that um, opportunity to be in church and just practice faith, faith and not worry about all the extra stuff. Uh, and so I know that if you have a comment, I'd love to. No, I was just going to say, I, and I've been all over the board on this. Yeah. Like I, I have crossed the line more than once on this issue. I would get so wrapped up in thinking that a candidate was the worst thing that ever happened to this country that I would speak out against him, yeah. point out his sin in the pulpit. And I have repented of that. It, not because what I said was inaccurate. Yeah. Uh, usually if you complain about a politician, it's probably pretty accurate. But the fact was, I was hardening people from the gospel. 
Yeah. And I, the big sin was I took my eye off the prize. The prize, life transformation is not going to come by who's next elected to the White House. Life transformation comes through the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, for our listeners, and, and this is not me saying that um, people that are in Christian leadership should not speak out against certain things, because I do wholeheartedly believe that right. as followers of Jesus, there are implications to what we stand up for, what we believe in. Uh, right. And so that is not, you know, that is not what I'm saying. I think that, um, you know, I just want to give clarity on that. No, um, I agree with that. I want to give clarity, too. I think yeah. that there are issues that the Bible speaks to and addresses, and we have to address them when we come to those in Scripture. And there are moments, too. There are national moments where a pastor has to speak to the heart of where people are at yeah. and, and to help people frame a way of looking through the lens of the gospel at everything. Yeah. And, and so what's really hard is right now we're at a place where, where I'm finding a lot of people will try to reach out to someone, but the moment they find out that person voted for yes. Mr. X, they're off. They're off the grid going, how, how could they claim to be a Christian and vote for that guy? Well, Hey, that's not your business. That's not what we're here for. And, and you're going to have, we're all going to have to learn um, how to live in a culture that is rapidly secularizing. That's in the deep South. Everywhere else in the country, the rapid secularization has already taken place. And, and it's happening rapidly. And so what I want to prepare my church for is how do you engage people and love people with the gospel now? And I want to tell you, as Southern Baptists, and, and I want your listeners especially to hear this, I just came back from New Orleans a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, probably what we do in disaster relief may be some of the greatest testimony of the love of Jesus Christ I've ever witnessed. And it's people, it's people in their 70s and 80s in some cases over there in the heat and the humidity of New Orleans cooking meals for people. And, and I mean, 150,000 meals since Monday. And, and that, that, that number is unbelievable. And Southern Baptists from all of our state conventions are engaged in that kind of ministry. Uh, my wife and I were in Colorado this summer hiking and we happened to go down the wrong road looking for something. And we ran into a group of Southern Baptists who were ashing out houses that had been burned to the ground nine months ago. And they're still up there doing it. Yeah. Who, who does this? Yeah. And the impact for the gospel is tremendous. Same thing with our foreign missions. Same thing with our church planning strategy. And it's one of the reasons I'm a Southern Baptist is because together, and that's why unity is so critical. It's not unity that we all look alike, think alike, and vote alike. It's unity in that we have the same Savior, the same love for one another, and the same purpose. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's something that I've had to, like in my own personal life, work through is coming back to the place of if I disagree with someone or if I have some different viewpoint, asking myself the question, okay, am I disagreeing out of a place of humility uh, and, and being the love of Jesus being that guiding point? Um, because what I want listeners to hear is as someone, I, you know, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church um, and like I experienced like there, there were things that were really good that I experienced um, from people that let the love of Jesus guide them. Uh, and obviously there are things that I've observed that we're, we're talking about here. I think that is at any church. Uh, and, you know, one thing I'd like to talk about, um, you, we, you kind of touched on it earlier on the, the term liberal or you could use the term woke. Uh, that is such an interesting term that gets used so much. Um, when we mentioned the kind of the idea that as followers of Jesus, there are things that you stand up for. Um, one of the things that does seem to be kind of a dividing point among the denomination is kind of, I, I would say, gender and like racial issues. Um, 
And so I would love to just hear, why do you think that these topics have become such dividing issues when in my mind, I'm thinking, wow, this is such a great opportunity to show the grace, the love and the unity of Jesus, uh, because we see that throughout the scriptures of like Jesus bringing people together. The whole point of the gospel is is uniting people together. And so I would love to just kind of hear your thoughts on um, why does why did these things from one side get get kind of labeled woke and, and not to pigeonhole one group, you know, you go to the other opposite, um, you know, there's the, the left side is kind of the viewpoint of, well, only systems can resolve the issue. Uh, and so I'd love to just kind of hear your thoughts. Well, it's unfortunate that we like to label people. Yeah. But we do. And, and I'm going to tell you what I think it's based in. Core of this is fear. Yeah. It's fear of the unknown. It's fear of change. It's fear that we're losing our culture. It's, it's a fear that we're, we're losing our dominance and, and, and I don't, that's not a CRT code word, but, but the truth is the dominant culture is dominated by people who will soon be in the minority yeah. and, and across the nation. So there, there is a real pressure there that I think would be foolish to ignore, but the, the culture is having its impact on us, but how are we responding to it? Uh, because I've been so involved in conservative resurgence and conservative theology throughout all of my ministry, when I came under conviction that in a city that is deeply divided racially, I needed to address the issue. I needed to get engaged and be very intentional about how we seek to bring what the Bible calls biblical racial reconciliation. And so when I started doing that, boom, I'm woke. And I'm going, wait, wait, what what do you mean I'm woke? And originally that term was a very uh, positive term used by African-Americans to say some people finally understand something, but it's now become a pejorative and, yeah. and it's, it's used because I think people are afraid. And, 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 and I'll tell you what I've learned about reconciliation. It's so valuable. And, and again, I'm in a city that has a very difficult history, but we're seeing progress and we're seeing God do something. I was at a meeting earlier today with my uh, members of this thing that we've formed here called the pledge group. And we're part of a, a ministry called Shrink the Divide, where we're constantly trying to bring people together and um, for the sake of the gospel and only the gospel. And, and so uh, as we've done this, though, um, I get called a liberal. Well, how is that liberal? It's Jesus. Yeah. And, and, and the reality is uh, it's, it's a way of people addressing something that they are terrified of. I was terrified of it because there's years I didn't engage in that couple of reasons. I was afraid of the, the I had a theological fear. How, what happens when you get with people who don't see eye to eye? Maybe they're into liberation theology. Maybe they're into something else. But what I've discovered is that's the word. That's the, that's the most simple thing you don't have to be afraid of because you have a, if you're at the table with someone, you bring influence and you actually can encourage people with truth hmm. and good people who believe in the truth will, will can see the light. I've seen that happen. Um, and the other thing, too, is that there's something amazingly powerful in our community when people see people dwelling together in unity. A, a, a lost world is not stupid. Yeah. They understand. <laughs> they, sometimes they, they know us better than we know ourselves. And they understand that Jesus taught very clearly that we are to be, we're to be one. He prayed in John 17 that we, we would be one in the church the way he and the Father are one. Yes. So the wokeness is, again, one of those pejoratives. but but, but I, I think also I would say in, in an answer to it that we all need to wake up. Yeah, This is the world we have, not the idealistic world of what we maybe thought we had at one time, which I'm not sure is true, 
or what we could have if we just elect the right person. We, what we did, got it. And let me say something else too. And I talk about this a lot, but uh, uh, just over a year ago, before the last election, I think it was the Washington Post had an article, and the article was about how 64% of Americans did not know, liberal, conservative, the whole spectrum, 64% of Americans did not know a single person who didn't vote like they voted. Mm. What they said was what happens over time is people sort their lives in such a way, and, and you can all see this in social media, where the algorithms will see what I want, like or I watch or I'm looking at truck advertisements, all of a sudden I start getting more truck advertisements. And so what happens is you, you maybe your church even becomes this, your, your small group or Sunday school becomes this, where everybody looks alike, thinks alike, and votes alike. And there's no divergence of opinion. There's no, <clears throat> listen, it's one thing, if everybody agrees with me, there's not going to be a lot of conflict, but there's not going to be any depth either. It's, it's come, let us reason together. We have to work these things out. God intended it to be that way so that we would shine by being focused on what really matters. It doesn't matter if you and I don't think alike politically. What matters is what do we think about Jesus? And I think that that's what people people agree with that. And I think people want to hear that. Uh, you know, I would love to kind of hear on one side, you know, I don't think that followers of Jesus should be necessarily concerned with the opinions of the outside world or the perception or however you want to you know, describe it. Um, but I'd love to hear, do you think that it is necessary that the, um, the convention or the denomination as a whole kind of works towards um, maybe changing the perception that it has. I think we should be aware of the perception. I think we should, we should work together to do whatever we can to present Christ as he is, which I think is, is, which means we ought to be the first people to say we're broken. Yeah. We ought to be the first person to say it's not by works of righteousness that we've done. It's by his grace that we are saved. And here's the good news. You can have the same grace. I mean, if he'll save an if he'll save an idiot like me, he can save anybody. Yeah. And and so I do believe that. I, I the the truth is we already know what the culture thinks, and we yeah. care about what the culture thinks. Um, the, but the reality is, what we really need, we need to care for a gospel reason, so that we can help understand that culture and bring something to the table of hope for those people. Yeah, yeah. And the hope is the gospel. Yeah, I I totally totally agree. With here's that. here's what's happened. We're we're in a we're in a state of decline. Now, what's interesting is all our ethnic work is growing at over two hundred percent. Yeah, but our Anglo works are decline two percent a year. Well, after it doesn't take long that we've had significant losses, and we will continue to have those losses unless something changes. And I think what has to change is not that we kick out all the liberals who don't exist, and and so we get all this done and we'll, everything will get better. No. And having more revival services, that's, I mean, I'm all for genuine biblical revival. We desperately need it. But, but here's what's going to have to happen. Our bubbles of our churches, where churches have become politicized, 
or we're scared and we're living in this bubble and we always point out to how bad the world is and we're looking for a political solution, we need to repent of that and say, Lord, my solution is I got to go love my neighbor. My solution is I've got to engage people with a smile. I've got to engage people with love. I've got to help people, minister to people. And that opens a door. They should be asking us, Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, what the hope is that we have. And, and I'm going to tell you, we're in a moment. This country, this country is wide open for the gospel. It is wide open for the gospel. The church has shut its doors to them. And, and that's what's got to change. And where it's changing, you see progress. Yeah. You see lives being transformed. And, and so and the other thing, too, is when we're focused on that vision and things start happening, power of God starts moving in our churches and through our, in our communities, money's not a problem. Yeah. 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 And, and you know, I think that that's kind of what, what what is interesting is there is that going on. And I think that, you know, you mentioned what y'all were able to do in New Orleans. There, there are, you know, examples of this. But unfortunately, what does get the loudest voice at times is one group demonizing the other or, or whatever it may be. Um, and so I think that like the continual, I think having people in place and in leadership that are continually working out of that place of love and, and wanting to see that occur uh, is really vital for, for the denomination. I know people that, that are operating out of that. And you mentioned that yourself and you clearly have a passion for, um, this unity. And the only way that there is unity is through the gospel of Jesus and through, through love. Uh, and so you kind of had several different things that you kind of mentioned that you were running on. I believe, I think there was four things. Um, it was unity. I think there was revitalization. Uh, and if you could kind of go through some of those, I'd love for our listeners to just kind of hear some of what your hopes for the future of the denomination are uh, and what you just kind of, and you've mentioned some of this, obviously working out of love, but kind of specifically, what were, were, were some of those things? Let me, Blake, let me, let me, let me just, before I answer that one, let me, let me touch on something. Two thoughts came to my mind while you were talking. I was listening, but one of the things that we have to address if we're going to make any progress is our affluence because our affluence and our isolation have removed us from the painful reality that most people live with. And and when you don't deal with people in pain, you, you become insensitive to pain. And, And when we only think about our pain and our hurts and our heartaches or our fears, then we're never, we're not engaging a lost world. Look at Jesus. Jesus always engaged pain-filled people. He sure. always engaged troubled people. And when the religious people criticized him for it, he said, the physician comes for the sick. If you don't need me, you don't need me. They need me. And, and so I think that's one of the issues that we have to address. I, I remember my platform was basically <clears throat> that our unity is not in our sameness. Our unity has to be in the gospel. And and we're unified on our statements of faith. I had a reporter from a, I've had several reporters from, from secular media that basically asked me, uh, you know, they, they got this impression that I was liberal because of these things some are saying. And, and so I said, no, Southern Baptists haven't dealt with any, we haven't made any changes in our doctrinal statements or anything. Uh, but what we are saying is that we need to deal with abuse And we need to deal with racial reconciliation. Those are two priorities the Nashville Convention came out with. Uh, So our unity is going to be found in the gospel. Uh, I also think our churches desperately need revitalization, but I'm already addressing that issue. We've got to to face the reality that my church, if it can help another church, if another church can help my church, that we need to do it. We're not in competition with each other. 
but then also church planting and international missions. Uh, those have got to restore. I think what's happened is we have a vigorous debate in our theology, but the problem is that's taken center space so that everybody wants to argue about the role of women. We want to argue about all these other things, and I'm not saying those aren't important arguments, but they've taken our eye off the prize. Yeah. The prize is the gospel. Yes. And I think that's exactly where a lot of people are at. I think they're, they feel like it's almost like a, a, a dead horse continually being beaten, um, where instead of arguing, I think a lot of people just want to see, well, do something like just show, show the love of Jesus, like handle these things. And I, and, you know, one thing I just wish I could see more of, and, and it's, I, I'm at a church where I, the pastor, they're intentionally meeting with several other black pastors in our town. And, and that is intentional reconciliation because of how um, unaware we are of it. We have to intentionally do those things. Right. And so seeing, you know, continually seeing that is this kind of reminder of what Jesus calls people to. Uh, and I think that that is what people want to see and people that are kind of questioning, you know, whether they belong in the church or if the church makes a difference. Uh, and so I really, I really appreciate, you know, the things that you're mentioning and in, in your words here. Well, I think you'll agree with me. It's not even what the lost world wants to see. It's what they need to see. They oh, need yeah. to see oh, for sure. Others. And yeah, I'm sure they would like to say, hey, well, those people are genuine. Are they really making a difference? But that's the power. That's the, that's the chainsaw of the gospel right there. That's going to cut some wood when people start seeing that we actually do what we, what Jesus told us we were supposed to do. Yeah. And let me say, too, about the racial reconciliation. Intentionality is the most important word. You don't have to you don't have to have a perfect past. You don't have to uh, never have told a bad joke or anything like that. But what you have to do is you have to be honest and humble enough to say we've got to meet and keep meeting. We've got to we've mm-hmm. got to press through the differences, learn what the humanity that God has given us in common. And 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 by that, we start to love one another. The process here in Mobile has been going on for about eight years now. And and the reality is we have fallen in love with each other through the gospel. Mm, and great. we encourage one another. We support one another. And, and that's been an amazing experience in a city that had a lynching in 1983-84, the last lynching in North America, wow. the last slave ship to be offloaded was in my city. And there's some deep wounds. Let me tell you something about wounds. Wounds uh, heal from the inside out. And what's interesting about an open wound on your body is a doctor explained this to me. The skin always wants to cover up. If it covers it up before the infection is gone, it just produces a Petri dish of problems. Mm-hmm. And, and so what has to happen, oftentimes it has to stay open, but the right healing process, it takes intentionality. And, and so the same thing with wounds is the same thing with the deep wounds of race deep wounds of division in our country, the deep wounds around the subject of abortion and everything else. And we've got to come to the table. We've got to engage. Yeah. And I think that Jesus gives us a beautiful example of someone that was intentionally sitting with people. I think it's in Luke. They ask question, why is he with those? Why is he with those? Right. People? Why is he, why is he there with them? And I mean, I've had to personally like examine myself and take note of that. You know, I'll, I'll mention a short really quickly. You know, I, what you mentioned about affluence, I didn't realize how good I had it necessarily until I, in high school, I, was, I played football and I would give guys ride homes to the, the other side of town. I literally had in my town, there's a railroad track that divides the town on the, the good side of town and growing up the dangerous side of town. And it simply right. was the black side of town and the white side of town. Yep. And I began to realize when I took these guys home that they're living in these very small homes with like 
eight or nine other people. And that's when I began to, you know, I, I didn't immediately, but looking back on it, I began to realize, okay, there's clearly a divide here. Um, and they're, they're living a life that I cannot understand. So me ignoring their little words coming out of their mouth and, and acting like their own story and life is not true or it's not fact is, has been something that I've had to work through. Um, and Jesus has really challenged me on. And I think that that is, that's a big thing is that the, the world wants to, every individual wants to be heard uh, and they want to be loved. And I think that that's what people are wanting to see. And I think that that's. Well, Blake, I'd go a step further. I, I think every person deserves to be heard. Yes. And it's yes. not because they've earned something in life. It's because God created them. Yeah. They're made in the image of God. Yes. That's right. The, the yeah. image of God is the value that all of us share. And, and so we should hear each other. I want to tell you the whole issue of racial reconciliation. What's really important is that we've got to change our language. We've got to stop calling people woke or, or worse. We call people names yeah. uh, and, and we call people bigots. We, and John Perkins, who was a, a, a powerful man in the civil rights movement, but an even more powerful man in racial reconciliation, taught me something. He said, Ed, I don't use the word bigot because this is offensive to a, a man of your skin color as the word, the N word is for a man of my skin color. And, and he said, it's a non-starter. So let's stop using this language and let's start talking about Jesus. And let's start talking about what the Bible says about being reconciled first to God and then to one another. That's gospel reconciliation. It's not a critical race theory and it's not intersectionality. Those items have never been in the framework of what we've been doing in Mobile or mine. I didn't. Just a few years ago, I heard those terms for the very first time. Yeah. And, and it's not the culture influencing me. It's us influencing the culture with the gospel. Yeah, that's really good. I'm really uh, I appreciate, you know, you coming on. I'd love to ask just kind of we'll close out with this question. Just um, we've kind of covered a lot here. And if you're someone that's listening, that maybe is involved at a Southern Baptist church or um, has been. I hope that this is can this conversation is encouraging for you. Uh, you know, I hope it's something that is it can show you that there are there are people that genuinely care about living out what Jesus is asking, what He's calling, and wants to see churches doing that as a whole. And so, I'd love to ask this last question. I try and ask one uh, kind of last piece of kind of advice or or a thought. Um, if you could maybe just communicate to the person who is on the fringe or maybe has observed things in the media that they, they're kind of questioning or doubting, um, or maybe they've dealt with the hurt of the church. Um, and maybe within the denomination, I don't like to just target Southern Baptist because this, ha this stuff happens in every single church. Sure. Um, what would that be? If you could kind of just share something with them uh, that could be, I guess, encouraging. And, and we both obviously believe in the love of Jesus. So, I would encourage you to, to seek the Lord. Uh, he says, if you seek me, you will ever surely find me. And, and when you look at people and you judge people for their hypocrisy, uh, that's dangerous because we all are hypocrites. We all fall short. But, but you'll never fail when you make Jesus the focus. And, and, and what you'll find that there are genuine believers in every church, in every denomination that love Jesus first and foremost. Seek him. And, and I promise you, you'll start to see things with great clarity. Jesus, uh, interestingly enough, did not threaten anybody. He, he invited you to come, mm -hmm. and he is safe. And, and I encourage you to come to him uh, above all. And, and then 
you'll, you will meet hypocrisy. You will see things that are not right. And instead of getting angry, what I encourage you to do, I think what Christ would have us do is stay on mission with him. And he is, he is literally taking the world. He is, his heart is for every nation, every tribe and every tongue. And so that would be my, my challenge to you. And I think the world is more open to the gospel than many of us in, in churches and in denominations are willing to take the gospel to them. So let's change that. That's great. Pastor Ed, I really appreciate you coming on and just sharing your wisdom. Um, you know, I think that uh, what you're talking about and what you're leading with is uh, super helpful. And so uh, thank you so much for, for coming on. Like it's a, pl- it's a pleasure and it's good to meet you. Thank yeah, you for, for having sure. me. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Rethinking Christianity. I hope that today's episode was helpful for you. And if it was, uh, if you would share it or review or rate it or do any of those things uh, to help others find it, um, that would be really appreciated. And I would find it super helpful and it's helpful for others that are looking for this kind of content. So again, thank you for tuning in. Uh, If you would like to follow us on Instagram, you can find us at Rethinking Christianity Podcast. Uh, We post clips from the podcast and quotes and all sorts of different stuff Uh, and it's just a different way for me to be able to interact with people that are finding uh, the content that we put out through the podcast and the Instagram helpful and so uh, all of that is really encouraging for me so until next time this is Blake and thank you for listening to Rethinking Christianity